Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. It's a great place to go see what's happening in the auction market because they have about 500 independent auction houses that report back as to what's going on there. So, if you're interested in looking at iron comps by Tractor Zoom, use Moving Iron at checkout and you get yourself a discount. As normal, I have Sean Hackett back here with me to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And Sean was kind enough to come on, not once, but twice this this week. So you'll hear him one more time, probably around Thursday, as to what's going on. And Sean, I tell you, it's been a, uh, you kind of called it here, you know, we called this uh, seasonal low that we've had. And it's, uh, you know, I think the last thing I read, like the past 60 growing seasons, this is the September time frame has always been. A, uh, a low spot in the harvest except for last year when it was you know the highest spot the highest spot in the harvest so i guess as you take a look at what's going on now sean anything out there that's jumping out at you ahead of this usda report coming out this week well you're right casey i mean we, we were have been anticipating a traditional seasonal period here weakness into september um and and while well, last year we were actually anticipating a counter seasonal rally so so this is just following the, the typical playbook Everyone says that, you know, gets comfortable with the crop and, and, we, and we just get ahead of the harvest and decide how low we have to go. This USDA report, you know, it's hard for me to see, you know, why USDA would, would dramatically, uh, you know, provide a bullish number here. You know, I just think when you look at the good weather we had in August, I think they're going to at least, no worse, just going to keep the numbers the same. They may actually raise them a little bit, especially on soybeans. There's a possibility they could do that because soybeans really benefited from this late rain that we had. Um, South America, I don't think there's going to be much change there. So, so once again, I just you know if you look you know if you're looking for some kind of a bull surprise, maybe the wheat market possibly um, the USDA could say something that there's less wheat lying around than everybody thought, um, which which could be a bull surprise. But I, I guess the bigger context if corn and soybeans are going down post report which we think they are even if we get a bullish wheat report it just means the wheat market will go down less it'll just be the strongest of the weakest group so we're just not looking for anything exciting this week for this report we think the october report could be the report that we might expect bigger changes and maybe some some increased volatility but just we just don't think this is the one to be looking at right now yeah 
All right. All right. So let's jump over and talk about the weather a little bit here. We got Hurricane Larry out in uh, the Atlantic right now. Um, it's beating up the Bahamas, right? Or Bermuda? Bermuda. 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 Yeah, it's beating up Bermuda right now. And it's still kind of in an early phase, but they don't know if it's going to you know, skirt the east coast of uh, uh, the United States or head into the Gulf or just stay out in the ocean right now. It's not really moving much, so they can't really make their mind up as to what's going to happen there. But you know, as as we sit here in September, um, the South has got their eye on hurricane season because of the lateness of uh, of the cotton crop and how how it's produced right now. So, I guess talk about cotton a little bit. And we see happening there. Well, remember the the peak hurricane season. There's two big peaks, Casey. There's a peak between September 11th and September 18th. That week is the peak week mm -hmm. for hurricane activity historically. So we're moving up. We're moving up into this. Okay. Um, so this is a period where where you're looking for storms, and this is when they like to amplify. So if you're going to get a, a tropical system, this is when they like to amplify and, and grow. The, the the conditions are typically ideal here in September for that. So even this Invest 91L there in the in the in the Gulf that's just sitting there. No one's really thinking it's going to do too much. You know, you, you really don't know because look what happened to to the last Ida. You know, it was it wasn't much, and then it just blew up as it got close to land because it it reached those warm waters and everything was perfect. It became a borderline Category Five. Um, so right now, anything that looks suspicious in the Gulf, in you know, south of Florida to the east of Florida, you have to watch very closely because if this is a time that these storms are are likely to develop more strongly than. Um, a lot of times the models will, would suggest. So right now, at least the good news appears that it's going to miss the areas that were hit hardest by, uh, by Ida. And if it is going to do something, um, it would be more of the Panhandle, Florida, North Florida, uh, you know, Georgia, the Southeast, that kind of an area. And then, and then probably go out to sea and miss, you know, that those areas up in the Northeast that got, uh, you know, more rain and, two days and they typically get in two months. Yeah. So that's what it appears right now. But I will caution the storm isn't moving much. And until it starts to move, it's a, it's a highly uncertain speculative pattern, uh, pathway right now, but, but that's what the way the models are going with right now. Yep. So. Okay. So let's, let's wrap this up here with uh, talking about the wheat in uh, cattle markets here just a little bit. But right now, as you take a look at the wheat harvest or, or sorry, the wheat numbers, wheat is still, performing strong Kansas City wheat is um, right now uh, the local co-op here has got cash price at 675 and they got uh, about 53 cent basis so I guess as you take a look at what's going on in the wheat market again I think the bushels were there like we've talked about in the past but the the quality of the wheat has not been uh, overwhelmingly good and especially when you take a look what's going on in North and South Dakota with with what came out of the uh, spring wheat up there so I guess talk about the wheat market and are you still anticipating this wheat price to kind of hold that we see right now? We think we, we like wheat. Right now, it's our favorite uh, part of the grain markets is the wheat markets. If you think of it this way, low-quality wheat, as you said, plenty of it, but mm -hmm. we have such a shortage of corn globally that everyone is using as much of this low-quality wheat for replacement of corn as they possibly can. And so that's been created this insane feed demand for low quality wheat. And it's, it keeps every report we get lower ending stocks, lower ending stocks because demand stronger. We think this report, we're going to see the same thing lower ending stocks, demand stronger than the market's thinking. So the low end is just being chopped up by replacement feed demand away from the corn feed 
situation. Now, the high end, <clears throat> the higher quality wheat, your winter wheat, your Minneapolis wheat, we know is unmitigated, complete disaster. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the worst crops in 50, potentially 100 years, if you look at the North China Plains, I mean, um, the Northern Plains here in the U.S., the uh, Canadian prairies, and then you look at what happened in Russia. I mean, trifecta of just horrendous right. weather conditions. So we have an extreme shortage of high-quality wheat meant for human consumption. So on the low end, chopping up all that low-quality wheat. On the high end, there isn't any. So it's a really bullish situation, and, you know, the big dogs in wheat, you know, we have to wait another cycle to try to rebuild that again, right? I mean, yeah. we're not going to, we're, we're spring wheat's next spring. Right. We're going to be planting winter wheat here in the fall, but, you know, that's not going to be harvested until next, you know, late spring, early summer. So, so we got the, the big dogs and wheat, you know, we're not looking at new fresh supplies, you know, until late spring, early summer at the earliest. So we have to deal with what we have to deal with. And if we have any weather problems in any of these key wheat growing areas going forward in the next spring, summer, with as as tight as the situation I believe is is and going to continue to be, it's fireworks time for the wheat market. We think, and so we really like the wheat market. And if you really think about it, if you look at a chart of wheat, it's actually broke out and retested the highs, whereas corn and soybeans are just you know kind of at the lows. So we have we have a really bifurcation here between wheat and soybeans and corn and and of course the reason is it looks like right now the market's made up its mind that we have a good corn and soybean crop and at the same time there's worries that we're not going to be able to ship it out the port as quickly as we thought because of all the problems with that ida caused so it's uh whenever we bottom here if we as we expect let's say this mid-september time frame we think there's probably going to carve out a low for for corn and soybeans we think um you know, the wheat market's going to be the one to really lead the charge, we think. We really would expect that to be uh, uh, the real, real uh, thoroughbred here in the grain complex, whereas last August, as you know, soybeans were the, the thoroughbred. Then corn became the thoroughbred. Now we think wheat's going to be the one that's going to toe the line for everybody. So Yeah, yeah a lot of things happening in wheat right now. I mean, it's just a, it's a very, very odd time, I guess is the best way to put it, because of what, you know, how... How things have played out to where they're at right now, and like you said, um, there's there's so much that wheat is is not high high enough quality that a lot of it's just getting fed. So it's a it's definitely a, uh, a definitely a, an odd time. All right, let's jump over and talk about the protein complex here just a little bit. Um, cattle and hogs, depending on on the day and the week, you know, one's way up, one's way down, and then they decide to switch around and and high five each other on the way up and way down again. So. Box beef prices are still showing some signs of uh, there's some weakness there some days, and then some days are not. So it's just a slot back and forth between um, between the market. You kind of talked about that a little bit here in the past. The September time frame, you expected to see some some uh, some drops in 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 the overall cattle complex and the beef complex and those kind of things. So I guess as you take a look at what's going on right now in the uh, the proteins, I guess. Anything jumping out to you right now that you did not expect to see happening and, and, and kind of moving forward, what's your thoughts, you know, between now and the end of the year as you look at, at these markets? I mean, yeah, we, we're, we're generally have a bearish tone to both cattle and, and hogs. You know, cattle reached our target of 138, 140 December, mm -hmm. which we thought would be the target before we made our top, which we did exactly that, and then we rolled over. Hogs made their top, you know, several months ago. We just think that we're we, – we, we're 
you have to think of it this way. We had this initial surge of reopening the economy and that yep. initial demand. One-time shot, it's over. That's gone. Um, we have seasonal demand. That's you know, If you're going to ship stuff for Christmas, you kind of need to be – you know, you can't wait too much longer. I mean, you kind of, you know, so, so that buying is, is starting to subside some. And, um, and, we, and, and you know, even though the, the cattle animal numbers are starting to thin out, you know, they're still going to be pretty healthy this fall, this fall. So we think weakness in October, Casey, we're pretty unfavorable, this, both lean hogs and uh, feeder cattle and live cattle here into December. We think, I mean, um, into October, we think October could be a period where we would look for some kind of an overshoot or a low point for the livestock complex. Um, but until then, you know, we, we think we're going to, you know, it's going to be two steps down, one step back, you know, kind of action, like you said, but ultimately working your way lower. And so we're not, you know, we've been recommending for a while, as you know, to start yeah. cash selling in, in, in this area. And if you haven't done so, try to use rallies to, to cash sell into the fall. Make sure you got yourself you know, set up here um, to get through that valley that we see. But we look for October for an opportunity for lows, but we still think there's considerable downside still in both markets heading into, let's say, you know, the first half, the middle of October. Then we would be potentially looking for signs and signals of the way we look at things for a bottom. But we're not, we're not optimistic until then, unfortunately, for the producer. We just think we're heading lower. So, yep. Yeah, and everything is kind of pointing that direction. So I guess as you uh, kind of look forward here, I mean, kind of listen to what Sean's talking about, pay attention to those kind of things, and, and uh, really kind of buy those rallies as you can. So, But remember now, for the livestock producer, though, there's going to be an opportunity for fee. We've been talking about this for yep. months. Yep. This fall, you know, mid-September, early October, the traditional time frame, we're going to be looking for the signals we look for in our smart money algorithm and, and other things. To, it's going to be a really, really good opportunity to lock you know, some really good economic fee that we haven't seen in a while because uh, of what we think is going to happen, as you know, next spring and summer, you know, the next thing, the, the, the first, you know, if you haven't sold enough of your cash sold enough of your cattle and the hogs, please do that. But assuming you've done that already, get ready to get your feed taken care of. It's really important because if we're correct about what's to take place in the cattle market specifically with the kind of, we're looking for some pretty high prices next year. If you get your, your feed price locked in at a really good level and you're, selling a really, 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 really historically high cattle price. I mean, you could be looking at a really exciting 2022 after getting beat up for a couple of years. So I'm, we're real excited that the cattle producer is going to be able to really put some significant equity back into their farming operations here in 22 if they play their cards right. But mission critical is getting feed taken care of this fall. Yep. So, All right, last thing real quick, and we'll, we'll, jump, we'll jump out of here. But the biggest thing I want to kind of talk about a little bit here as we kind of wrap things up is so we're, we're heading in that, that september time frame i guess we're in september now moving in through that late fall um and you've talked about it several times you know since since you've been on this podcast that this september uh, of 21 is going to be uh, a true tell of what we see happening out there as far as sun cycles and in and, and solar minimums and those kind of things are taking place this is going to be that first precursor that we see um all the indications show that, that September is going to be a fairly warm, fairly dry um, time frame, but that doesn't mean you can't have some some dips. And out here where I'm at, you know, we have this, it could be 100 degrees one day and, and uh, you know, 38 degrees the next because that happened this, this today. Yeah, I think it was the 7th or the 8th last year. We, it was 105 degrees for three days and it snowed. So, I mean, 
<laughs> three days later. So nothing like that in the forecast this year. But I guess as you take a look at these things and, and stuff that you've talked about, Sean, you know, we're, we're heading into that that first real window of, of what you've talked about. So talk about that a little bit and what you see kind of coming down the pike. Well, remember, because we've, we've been forecasting an active hurricane season, that tends oftentimes to push a lot of warm, moist Gulf air into the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and, and provides a lot of warmth, which is why September is overall going to be, looks pretty warm because we're just going to keep pumping that tropical, water, moist air in, and it's going to be pushing back you know, on the cold air that's, that's up, you know, up north. Um, but, but uh, there can, there, there, there's two ways that you can get in an active hurricane season, you can get a, a, a really wild cold push in September, early October. One is you get a big hurricane off of the east that, that comes in close to the, uh, to the east coast, okay, but then pulls away. That has the action of actually sucking the warm, moist air away from the U.S. and can provide a conduit for cold. Now, the one that's out there right now it doesn't look like it's going to get close enough. Okay, it, 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 we have to watch it, of course. But if that, if for some reason that were to move closer to the coast and then turn and then spin around, that could be that. The other thing you look for is you look over in Asia. Another big thing is you look for a big typhoon that comes in goes like around North Japan, skims the, the coastline of China, and then, and then swings around and then pushes into the northern Atlantic at, uh, jet stream. If you get one of those horseshoe typhoons out in Asia that also has a, historic, has a history of pushing a short-term, really nasty cold spot into the U.S. within an active hurricane typhoon season. So we would need one of those two things, Casey, to overcome this constant push of warm, moist air coming from the Gulf. Um, it doesn't look like the one Larry is going to do that, but it, you know, it's obviously we, we still have to watch it. Um, it doesn't look like it. Um, and right now, you know, I don't, I don't see at least in the next two weeks, a, ty- a large typhoon doing that kind of a horseshoe. So right now I don't see those conditions for the next two weeks. Uh, but that's just for the next two weeks. You know, we'll have to just keep monitoring this. Obviously, the hurricane season's always very, um, things could happen really fast. Suddenly things change and you have to be monitoring. But look for those two signposts for how do you get cold in September uh, or early October in an active hurricane. And one of those two things have to happen. So. Right on. I guess as you take a look and you move past September into mid-October, you know, the 1st of November, there could we could see some some real active cold weather uh well, pretty quick, right? We, you know, I, I, you know, officially winter starts. I think was it December twenty one? I guess yep. the official start of winter. So we believe that winter is going to it's going to fire up, and our advanced work says that we're actually going to start off with a sudden stratospheric warming event that means where you get very very warm air that develops over the arctic and pushes the cold air down into a polar vortex we think we could be having a major polar vortex event by mid-november a full month before winter is supposed to start and we're not talking about you know, we're talking about this major major polar vortex cold weather event like just crazy cold um a month before we we think that's how this winter is going to start off it's going to start off with a bang out of the gate, and it's going to scare the hell out of everybody to say, oh, my gosh, (laughs) 
what, you know, why did that happen? And, and is, it, is this, is this a sign, more of a sign of the times and what you're going to start to see happening, Casey, all the weather guys are going to start looking for answers. They're going to start saying, Oh my gosh, wait a minute. We have this and this. And, this. and all of a sudden people are going to start realizing that maybe this is where we have a trouble this winter. Mm-hmm. So we would really, really look for that mid November, look for the weather models or then the weathermen to start warning about a Southern sudden stratospheric warming event and a polar vortex event in November to, to, to kind of set off this, this long, cold, snowy, protracted historical winter that we've been talking about on your program, really, since we started talking with you a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, we think it's going to start with a bang, and it's going to really shock everyone that we're going to have that kind of cold air that early. Um, and, and, and we think, uh, you know, once again, we don't think that's a one-shot thing. We think that's going to be a repeated pattern throughout the winter time that we're going to get those very consistently and regularly throughout the winter. This is not going to be, we just get a couple of weeks like we had last February and it's over. This is going to be a, re, you, you're going to get one, a big one. You're going to have a, it's going to happen over and over and over. And it's going to be very, very snowy record snowpack. It's going to be very difficult uh, conditions to, um, to operate things for a while. So uh, we'll be talking about that um, at your uh, summit here next week. Yeah. We we have a, I believe it's already a next very uh, yeah. yeah very very detailed presentation go over all the the different signposts the different variables the different cycles how they're aligning why our confidence is so high we throw all kinds of of alphabet letters like QBO and AMO and PDO and and what they all mean and so we we hope we can take a a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, letters and, and and put it into actual practical action for those that attend your your uh, you know your uh, your conference, yeah. So. Well, that, it'll be uh, it'll be well worth their time. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be one of the highlights of the event. So, Sean, uh, great information as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about Hackett Financial and what you can do for them. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. Right on the front page, we have podcast, video interviews, white papers, sample reports. Really gives you a good breath for, you know, our weather work, how we look at things, how we price forecast to see if what we do might be able to be of some value to your listeners. Right on. Well, good deal, Sean. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com, and you'll find all of the great uh, podcasts there as well, the entire library as well as the blogs are all out there as well. Uh, Moving Iron Summit's coming up next week. It's uh, pretty well full, so if you wanted to come to that, um, probably have some last minute, maybe one or two spots open, but uh, that's about it. So pretty much well, pretty well sold out there. So uh, looking forward to that. Sean's going to be there. Sean, like he talked about, has got a great presentation. I think folks are going to really enjoy, as well as uh, a couple of the great stuff out there. If you want some more information about that, go to the Moving Iron Summit uh, up in the upper left hand corner, upper right hand corner of my. Uh, of my website there and you can see all the information that's there so with that i am katie seymour with sean hackett let's go be smart folks out you want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment whether you represent the sales parts or management department of an implement dealership there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire wheel and track technology let axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. 
The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.